Um, I'm Taylor. I'm the worship director here at Bethany West Seattle, and uh, while Pastor Prentice is on sabbatical, I'm also the interim pastor, and I have the opportunity to be teaching this morning as we start a new series. Uh, for the next six weeks, we'll be looking at stories that Jesus told, uh, at, uh, at parables that Jesus told uh, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, so I'll be setting the stage for us uh, this morning, and I'm grateful to be able to do that. Uh, our scripture this morning, uh, which I'll read in a moment, is from 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 to 7, uh, which 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament, so this is not a story that Jesus told, but it's a story about the prophet Nathan, who tells a story to King David as a way of calling David to account for things that he had done. And we're going to use this story as a way of building a frame for how we can approach Jesus' stories this summer. Uh, and when I was thinking about um, the pre prepping for this and talking about stories, I realized that this is really a perfect Sunday for me to be teaching uh, because if I'm anything, and if I love anything, I love things that are meta. And I'm about to be really meta, because we're talking about a story within a story, so that we can talk about more stories, so that we can apply those stories to our stories. So this is super meta, and I invite you to go there with me <laughs> this morning. And I, I think I tracked it out in a way that, that, uh, that will we'll take one step at a time. <laughs> but if, if anything needs to slow down... Like, really, you can say, hold up, what are you talking about right now? Uh, which story are you talking about? And I will, uh, I will pause. Uh, so as we continue, I'm going to read um, 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 to 7, and then I'll pray. Uh, this is from the Message Translation, and you can follow along with me. But God was not at all pleased with what David had done and sent Nathan to David. Nathan said to him, there were two men in the same city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had huge flocks of sheep and herds of cattle. The poor man had nothing but one little female lamb, which he had bought and raised. It grew up with him and his children as a member of the family. It ate off his plate and drank from his cup and slept on his bed. It was like a daughter to him. One day, a traveler dropped in on the rich man. He was too stingy to take an animal from his own herds or flocks to make a meal for his visitor, so he took the poor man's lamb and prepared a meal to set before his guest. David exploded in anger. As surely as God lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this ought to be severely punished. He must repay for the lamb four times over for his crime and his stinginess. You're the man, said Nathan. Uh, join me in prayer. God, as we are here together this morning, we have come with the intention of hearing from you, um, and thank you that you are faithful, uh, that we, uh, when we come, you respond to us. So I pray um, that in this time that, uh, Holy Spirit, you cultivate a deeper sense of openness and curiosity so that we can have a lived-out response to the words that you have for us this morning. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I started out by saying I do invite you to like speak from where you are at times during this sermon, and I'm going to tell you ahead of time so that you can prepare for it. So I'm telling you ahead of time, I'm about to ask you a question that I hope that some of you will say and answer back to me out loud. Uh, it's, 
about the idea of story. So I wonder if you can think of a story from a book or a comic or a movie um, or a TV show that left its mark on you when you were a kid. So it might be a story that you felt especially connected to because one of the characters was very much like you, or it was a character who you very much wanted to be like. Uh, it might have been a story that reminded you of someone or somewhere that you love, uh, or it might have captivated you because it opened up the world in a new way or an imagined world uh, in a new way. It could be a story that walked you through a challenging season and it's even now something that you still return to um, when you're needing that sort of comfort. So take a moment and think about this, and then if you'd be so bold, I invite you to tell, to tell us what's a story that shaped you in this way when you were a kid. The Chronicles of Narnia. Cinderella. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I came prepared to talk about one, but then one just jumped into my head. Uh, when I was in third grade, I loved the story. Uh, the movie Harriet the Spy had just come out, and I definitely carried around a notebook and took notes about everything that I saw. Um, I definitely wanted to be like Harriet the Spy. I actually remember that a teacher uh, told us to stop taking notes in our notebooks during recess because somebody had done graffiti on our playground. And so we were like, oh, we need to write down what the graffiti says so that we can like have evidence of it. And I have no idea what the word was, but our teacher was like very adamant that we should stop writing whatever it was. So my adult self is like, that probably wasn't a good word <laughs> that I was writing. Uh, but that's a story, that's a story that definitely shaped me. Uh, we are story people, and we're storied people. Story is part of culture and part of families, and it's through story that we remember, that we connect, we process, we celebrate, we mourn. Uh, sometimes our stories are epics and timeless, and sometimes they're just for the moment. Uh, I know that the way that I tell stories is often this way, where it's more that I begin and then halfway through I realize I'm not talking about anything specific. I just want people to be witness to what I heard and thought about and saw that day. Uh, storytelling is also part of being God's people, because scripture is God's story. And we are part of God's story. And I love that Jesus, as fully God and fully human, used story as a way of communicating, that he connected with people in their everyday environment and, and used this to connect people to God's kingdom and invited them to respond and see themselves anew and renewed. So this morning, we will walk through what a parable is, how Jesus used parables, and then how we can receive and respond to the stories that Jesus told, returning to the Second Samuel passage uh, to practice a way of receiving and responding to God's word to us through stories. So first, what are parables? Uh, Jesus told a lot of stories. In the New Testament books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are between 30 and 40 stories that Jesus told in, in each of them. Uh, there are also stories like this in the Old Testament, like the one that I read from 2 Samuel about the prophet Nathan and King David. 
Uh, here's another moment where I'm going to ask you to think about something, and then you can shout it out if you want. Uh, so for, for those of you familiar with stories that Jesus told, could you think of one? What's a story that Jesus told? What did he tell stories about? Seeds. Mm-hmm. Healing people. And generosity. Mm-hmm. Thank you. A parable is a brief story with common human characters that illustrates important truth like generosity, seeds, generosity, healing, um, all of these things through a brief story. And there's different styles of parables. Some are sayings or riddles, and some are narratives. Some are long, and some are short. Some things that parables are not, though, is parables are not fairy tales, so they don't end with, and, and then they live happily ever after. And they're also not necessarily fables, uh, like with the tortoise and the hare, where we say, and so you should be diligent like the tortoise, and then it will work out for you. So there's not necessarily one meaning. It's also not necessarily the same as an allegory, where language is purely symbolic, each character or situation directly meaning something else. They are not only illustrations of things that the original hearers or we today already know, but they communicate something new, and many somethings new sometimes. They are rich with layers of meaning. Parables in scripture make comparisons, like the parable of the growing seed. Uh, In Mark 4.26, Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And he says, a man scatters seed on the ground. Parables in scripture are also implied analogies uh, where Jesus connected the story to those who were listening, like in Matthew 21, 33 to 46, where the parable is about greedy tenants and people who were listening to this included chief priests and Pharisees, and they became more than angry when they realized they were the greedy tenants in the story. Parables in scripture are also narratives, like in Luke 15, there's a progression of stories about a lost sheep and then a lost coin, and then a lost son. The puzzles and provocations of parables allow us to glimpse God's kingdom, God's kingdom within the context of the full story of God in the Bible, as we see the story of Jesus and the character of God unfold in the parables and their characters. So that's a parable. How did Jesus use parables? Uh, Mainly, Jesus used them to teach. In Mark 4, 33 to 34, it says, With many such parables he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. Parables and their puzzles and provocations were challenging. Even his disciples didn't often understand their full meaning. But this didn't keep Jesus from using stories in this way. He was not afraid of their complexity, and I'm struck by this. It makes me think that Jesus was not teaching a formula to memorize, but more so inviting us to a new way of living, which is a lot more messy, uh, but also just is a lot more in general. What Jesus gives us is more than a formula, but is a way of living. Jesus uses familiar storytelling methods about scenes from from the everyday world in unique ways to comfort us, challenge us, convict us, and commission us. Jesus comforts through parables that see those who've been cast aside as lost and marginalized. 
that tell of God's gracious love and persistence and that tell of God's present kingdom. Jesus challenges through parables that disrupt assumptions of rightness before God based on personal efforts and unpack big ideas with nuance and directness. Jesus convicts through parables that call out hypocrisy of keeping the letter of the law without keeping the spirit of it, ways people fail to let God be God and place something or someone in God's rightful place, convicting of sin. And Jesus commissions through parables that speak of God's kingdom and how to live anew in God's kingdom, loving God and loving neighbor. Jesus' parables in scripture are not static revelations of truth, but are dynamic invitations to transformation. And I keep thinking about this, that parables are dynamic invitations to transformation. As we read and listen, these aren't just flat words on a page, but are words that come alive and invite us to live in new ways as we receive them. So they're dynamic. And this is the power of God's words. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And John 1 verses 1 to 2 and 14 says of Jesus, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the embodiment of God's Word, the Word made flesh. And then Jesus gives his words to us, through story, and they're still alive and transforming us as invitations to transformation. And so every parable in scripture is an invitation to encounter and engage Jesus. And an encounter with Jesus is always an invitation to transformation. This isn't something that we can create on our own, but is a work of the Holy Spirit who helps us to see Jesus and respond to who Jesus is. In John 15, 26, from the Message Translation, Jesus says, When the friend I plan to send you from the Father comes, the Spirit of truth issuing from the Father, he will confirm everything about me. So God's Word is living and active. Jesus is the Word made flesh, and the Holy Spirit is discerning and revealing Jesus to us. God is presently speaking in this moment through the ancient text of Scripture. And when we are reading, it's not static. Jesus' stories are not static, but are dynamic. So how can we receive and respond to Jesus' parables? This question is the crux of our time today because it moves us from passive listeners to active participants, which really is what Jesus' stories are to do with us. So how can we receive and respond to Jesus' parables, saying yes to the invitation to transformation? I want to unpack the call and response of God's word, the dynamic call and response of God's word, and the importance of holding this together in community. And I want to offer a few ways for us to be open to Jesus' rich layers of meaning in his stories And then we'll close our time after that with um, a few postures to cultivate that will prepare us to respond to Jesus' invitation towards transformation. 
So the first part um, is thinking about this dynamic call and response of God's word. This is an idea that was shared at a staff teaching team meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, and it's resonated with me as I've thought about receiving and responding to Jesus' words. And it's the idea of reading and being read by the text. So both us reading the text and then also allowing the text to read us. And this reading and being read is the dynamic call and response of dialogue and is a way that God meets us in God's word. It's also how God meets us in worship. Worship is uh, uh, dialogical, is what I um, just saw actually last night in a book, that it's not just about a one-way conversation with no back and forth. It's meant to be receiving and responding, responding and receiving. Um, And so reading scripture is in that way as well. We can think about call and responsive dialogue in this way. Uh, When I look at myself in a mirror, uh, which I I thought about bringing a mirror, but all of the mirrors in my house are very secured, so I wasn't able to bring a mirror. Uh, But when I look at myself in the mirror, I see a flat version of myself, two-dimensional. I can see my front or I can see my back, but I can't see my whole self. Uh, And I can see myself in three dimensions when I'm looking at me, but I can't see my whole self at one time. It's just what I'm able to see, um, but not all of me. But when I'm in the presence of others, you all are able to see me in a way that I can't see myself. You're able to see more of me than I can see on my own. And I can see more of you than you can see on your own. We're separate and distinct people, and from our perspectives, we can tell of the extra that we see that the other can't see. And when this happens in a relationship of trust, where there's a sense of mutuality and care and love, uh, this giving and receiving is a mutual gift. Jesus' words through the parables are dialogue like this, working in this dynamic call and response way, reading us as we read them, seeing parts of ourselves that we can't see on our own. God's words are words that are spoken at us, so they are words that are external to us. They are God's words outside of us and something that we can choose to remember or not remember. But God's words are also spoken to us, which is something that is internal, an invitation to respond. And these are words that see us in 3D and tell us about ourselves, or more than 3D. There's more dimensions probably than just the three uh, in the case of God's word and how uh, God sees us. In this dynamic way, the text reads us as we read it. When talking about Jesus' stories particularly, rather than being content with fixed or safe meanings, we can allow the parables to continue to question us. And this is an active posture of response that I want us to invite to bring to our reading of the parables this summer. Even if the stories are familiar, that we can allow new questions to come up. I can think of times when I've used the phrase, asking for a friend, when I've wanted to diffuse or misdirect or lighten asking about something that felt vulnerable for me to admit for myself. For example, uh, (laughs) actually, I don't really think I want to give an example. Is that a familiar thing that you've heard, asking for a friend? Okay, great. Because even now, it feels a little bit too vulnerable to even, like, think of an example. Uh, But when we're doing this time, this time with Jesus' stories, I invite us 
in this practice of dynamic call and response with God's words to be more direct. We're not asking questions for a friend. We're wanting to ask questions for ourselves uh, and receive God's word directly to us. It does take trust to do this, though. And you may not know if you can trust God in this way yet, and that is okay. You do not need to um, force yourself into something that doesn't feel safe. But I do want to say that God will meet you as you open yourself up to God in this way. Uh, Our God is a gracious God, um, and so I invite you that even to begin by naming that you need God to show you that you can trust God is an important first step. So because of the dynamic call and response of Jesus' words and parables, it's important for us to receive and respond God's word in community with each other, with others. Uh, Culturally, it can be our MO to read scripture individually and to ask, what does this have for me? Or what individual do I connect with in the story and what am I to do? And while there are definitely particularities in Jesus' words to us individually, and this is definitely an important part of our engagement with God's word, there's also an invitation to receive together as a community. Jesus told stories in group settings to disciples who knew they wanted to follow him but still were confused sometimes, to Pharisees who thought that they knew all that there was to know about God and were threatened by what Jesus said and how he lived, to people who needed to be seen because they were sick or outside the community, to people who were along for the ride because there was something big happening and they didn't want to miss it. Jesus told stories to groups that contained all these people, and each of them heard Jesus' stories in a particular way. Stories told in community are an opportunity to see beyond our 2D selves, our 2D view of ourselves, rooted in and being read by God's word and in community with one another as we share what we see and invite the Holy Spirit to open God's words to us. Uh, This is a rhetorical question, but I wonder, do you have spaces where you can do this with others? Do you have space where you're able to read scripture together and hear what each other sees uh, and be able to uh, have this mutual seeing together? Uh, This can happen in small groups. Uh, This happens when we're together on Sunday mornings. And it's something that I'm thinking about, um, how we can continue to be formed in this intentional way as a community. As we read and as we are read by the text and as we respond individually and in community to Jesus' words, there are things that we can do, to, that things that we can bring to what we read that can help us be open to the rich layers of meaning in Jesus' parables as he impacts who he is, what God's kingdom is like, and how we are to live. Uh, the first is that we can acknowledge that, uh, what we bring to the text through our culture and our experiences. We've been shaped by many things. We've been shaped by our culture, by country, family, language, many things. And it's important for us to be aware of this as we read, uh, so that as we read Jesus' words, so that, so that we see what our experiences bring out in the story. So there's things because of what I uh, have experienced in my culture, because of language, uh, because of my family, all of these things. There's things that I'm able to resonate with in the story or that are able to um, stand out to me. But there's also things that I don't see uh, because of my experience. So, for example, um, when I was thinking about uh, par- stories that Jesus told, I thought of the story of the lost coin. And I, I 
do identify with the woman who lost the coin because actually yesterday I lost a pair of keys and I needed to look in all of my pockets to try and find the set of keys, which I did find. So I was able to check the mail yesterday. <laughs> uh, so just like the woman turning her house upside down looking for the lost coin, I can, I can relate to that. I'm a woman, I lose things all the time. <laughs> uh, so I can relate to her directly. But I do this from an experience of economic privilege. A lost coin uh, would not make or break me, uh, and it wouldn't affect what I could or couldn't buy for that day. So my urgency would be different. I don't understand her urgency in looking for that coin. I, when I read about a lost coin, in my perspective, I think about uh, the pennies that I find on a sidewalk, which are really meaningful and exciting to me, uh, but it's not part of my budget for the week. So my experience that I bring to the text would miss some of the things that other experiences would bring as richness to that text. Parabolic language, uh, the language of parables, will resonate differently in different contexts, and knowing our own context is an important starting place. This is another reason why it's important to read Scripture in community so that we can learn and grow from what each other brings from our experiences makes me think of the facets of a diamond, all parts of the whole and all reflecting light in beautifully unique ways. It's also helpful to listen for what the story was for the original hearers and then to discern what it is for us today individually and as a community. So this is something that the teacher on Sunday will often do, that they'll help unpack insight about language and places and people of the time and then helping make connections to our context. That can bring out layers of richness from the stories too. With awareness of our own context and that of the original hearers, and with the added gift of reading and community, uh, we can then step into uh, imagining ourselves in different places in the story, reading the parable from different perspectives. What does the parable do to us if we change locations in it? This makes me think of putting on a, a virtual reality headset. Has anybody used one of those before? Because I'm only even talking about it like anecdotally. <laughs> okay, so it might be something, maybe someday we can try this all together, or you'll have an opportunity to try it. But I imagine that it's like putting on a VR headset, where you're immersed in the world of the story, and then you can engage in embodied ways. Uh, so when we're doing this, putting ourselves in different places in the story, we can hear the same story and be present in our imagination in the story in different roles. So maybe I don't always hear myself as the protagonist. Maybe sometimes I'm the instigator. I'm not always seeing myself as a bystander, but sometimes I am the central character. And reading from different angles invites us to different experiences and action steps. What particular things is the Holy Spirit leading us to as we move ourselves around in the story? So as we prepare to return to the second Samuel story, I want to share a few ways for us to come to parables, reading and being read in community with our context and the context of the story in mind. So uh, three postures for this. The first is uh, coming with openness. Uh, we come with openness to receive God's seeing of us knowing that any word of comfort, challenge, conviction, or commission comes from our good shepherd, which itself is an image from a story that Jesus told, who leads us to rest and safety, and that doesn't compromise our well-being by staying in places of complacency. 
And again, this is built on a foundation of trust in God's love and intention. So it's something that we build through relationship with God. I wonder, uh, in the story from 2 Samuel, a part that I didn't read is, is David's response to Nathan. So Nathan says, you are the man, like you're the one who you're saying did this terrible thing. Uh, and a few verses later, David's response is to say, I have sinned before God, like I have sinned against God. And I wonder if he was able to go straight to the heart of the matter, no defenses, no, he, he didn't point his anger at Nathan, the bringer of the news. He was just able to say, I have sinned against God. And I wonder if he was able to say that because of a steady cultivation of openness to God's word, which is something that we see in the Psalms. He wrote many of the Psalms uh, and his openness to God's word there. I wonder if that's what cultivated in his heart the ability to um, be able to receive such a direct word. God will not force or push us into openness. In this openness, we can come with the expectation that God meets us in God's word. We can ask, how do we see Jesus? How do we see God's kingdom? How do we see ourselves? And these are not rhetorical questions because this is what God's word does. God's word shows us Jesus, shows us God's kingdom, and shows us how we're to live through the Holy Spirit. So we will see these things. Uh, the second posture is curiosity, and this is something that I've been growing in as an intentional posture. Uh, this has been a way of keeping me engaged beyond the roadblocks of defensiveness or shame, to stay curious and say, I wonder, I wonder why I'm having this reaction, or I wonder why uh, the word is hitting me in this way. I want to be curious about what God has for me and for us through each particular story, and I want to invite the Holy Spirit to bring new perspectives and connections rooted in the fullness of God's story. Uh, we're going to practice this in a, uh, through a practice of prayer and imagination uh, in a moment. So this is your note for what's coming. I'm going to invite you to personally do a, a prayer practice with this. Uh, and then the third uh, posture is that of an embodied response. Coming to Scripture in the way that I've been talking about is not a head exercise. It's different from listening to a story for entertainment or for agreement, because there's an actual embodied way to respond to the stories of Jesus, ways that impact the way we are with our families and with our neighbors and with ourselves. These stories aren't calling us to a mental ascent of an ideal alone, but are inviting us to embody God's way. The stories address sin, like Nathan's story to King David. They call us to account, or they show us God's kingdom way. And when God addresses sin, it's not something that's just in our head. It's something about our actions, our heart sets. And God's invitation is to repentance, turning from sin in an embodied way. When we have an embodied response to God's words, that's actually what our witness is uh, with the people around us. Because when we have a bodied response to God's words, we're showing people what God's kingdom is like. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was saying, God's kingdom is here, and this is what it looks like. So when we uh, respond to Jesus' words and embody what they're inviting us to, we're showing people what God's kingdom looks like. Okay, so to close our time this morning, we're going to return to the 2 Samuel text 
to practice these postures of openness, curiosity, and embodied response through prayer. Uh, we're going to use something that's called Ignatian contemplation, uh, which has a lot of syllables and a lot of depth uh, that you can spend more time with if you're interested. Um, that's what it's called if you want to look it up on your own. Uh, I'm going to be using a resource that was created by the Grace Institute for Spiritual Formation at Luther College. And they describe Ignatian contemplation as a prayer form developed by Ignatius of Loyola in the 1500s, people. We're part of a long tradition, because uh, everything is even longer ago than that. Uh, that was a funny aside to say, but... <laughs> but so developed a long time ago, helping people come to know Jesus through imaginative interaction with, with Scripture. So the things they're talking about today, Christians have been talking about and practicing for a long time. Uh, contemplative prayer in this way is meeting God through story, which is what we've been preparing to do. The prayer develops as you live into a scripture story with all your senses and imagination. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to invite you to take, uh, it might take whatever step feels comfortable for you in this time. Uh, you'll be doing it individually, so you'll be able to, to, to uh, judge what that looks like for you. But I do invite you to lean into it a little bit more uh, maybe than you want to, because I do believe that the Holy Spirit is here and holding this space in safety and trust. Uh, and has something for us in, in the practice of this. So I'm going to read the Second Samuel story through three times with different prompts for each reading. Uh, after the third reading, we'll have a few minutes of silence where you can write down, or not silence, actually, uh, Kirk will be able to be playing during that time, uh, where you can uh, think about things that came up for you during the time of prayer. And you'll then have an opportunity if you want to share it with uh, the person, a person around you, or if you want to offer it to God as a prayer, whichever feels like a better step for you this morning. So before I do the first reading, I want to give a little tiny bit of context um, for the Second Samuel story, uh, because the the. Uh, because this sermon wasn't to focus on the background of the story, uh, we didn't spend a lot of time with context in the way that we will for the other parables coming this summer, uh, but do want to give you this context, that when uh, the text talks about David, David is the king of Israel who had been sought out by God um, to be in that role because David was a man after God's own heart. And then from David's place of power, he created what may have felt to him like an epic love story with Bathsheba, but it was actually a whole slippery slope of intentional missteps, uh, where he first saw Bathsheba, who was another man's wife, he conceived a child with her, and then he had uh, Bathsheba's husband killed in battle as a cover-up. So this is all the things that happened before um, Nathan came to speak with David. So I'm going to uh, do a first reading of this scripture and invite you to listen to the story for broad strokes. Where and when does it take place? Who is there? What happens? And if you feel comfortable, I invite you to close your eyes while you, while you listen. But God was not at all pleased with what David had done and sent Nathan to David. Nathan said to him, there were two men in the same city, one rich the other poor. The rich man had huge flocks of sheep and herds of cattle. 
The poor man had nothing but one little female lamb, which he had bought and raised. It grew up with him and his children as a member of the family. It ate off his plate and drank from his cup and slept on his bed. It was like a daughter to him. One day, a traveler dropped in on the rich man. He was too stingy to take an animal from his own herds or flocks to make a meal for his visitor. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared a meal to set before his guest. David exploded in anger. As surely as God lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this ought to be severely punished. He must repay for the lamb four times over for his crime and his stinginess. You're the man, said Nathan. I'm going to pause for a moment. Now I'm going to read a second time. And as you're listening, uh, can consider these questions. Who are the major players? Who else is there? What are they doing? How do they interact? What is the setting like? What's the mood and the atmosphere? And this is where as you listen, you can move yourself around in the story. What does it bring up in you as you imagine being in the place of Nathan, giving a hard word to David? Or what if you're David? or the poor man, the rich man, or the lamb. But God was not at all pleased with what David had done and sent Nathan to David. Nathan said to him, There were two men in the same city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had huge flocks of sheep and herds of cattle. The poor man had nothing but one little female lamb, which he had bought and raised. It grew up with him and his children as a member of the family. It ate off his plate and drank from his cup and slept on his bed. It was like a daughter to him. One day, a traveler dropped in on the rich man. He was too stingy to take an animal from his own herds or flocks to make a meal for his visitor. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared a meal to set before his guest. David exploded in anger. As surely as God lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this ought to be severely punished. He must repay for the lamb four times over for his crime and his stinginess. You're the man, said Nathan. I'll read it one uh, final time for us. And in this final reading, notice more detail. Begin to feel yourself in that place, in that story. Who are you and what are you? What are you doing, thinking, feeling, or what is being done to or with you? What are the emotions and undertones that you notice? But God was not at all pleased with what David had done and sent Nathan to David. Nathan said to him, There were two men in the same city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had huge flocks of sheep, herds of cattle. The poor man had nothing but one little female lamb, which he had bought and raised. 
It grew up with him and his children as a member of the family. It ate off his plate and drank from his cup and slept on his bed. It was like a daughter to him. One day, a traveler dropped in on the rich man. He was too stingy to take an animal from his own herds or flocks to make a meal for his visitor. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared a meal to set before his guest. David exploded in anger. As surely as God lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this ought to be severely punished. He must repay for the lamb four times over for his crime and his stinginess. You're the man, said Nathan. Uh, Let me pray for us as we close uh, this time. God, we come to you, and uh, as a community, um, as we look to your words, uh, would you show yourself to be trustworthy, that we can be open with you, that we can be curious about the new word that you have for us, and that we will be able to respond. Thank you that you uh, meet us in new and fresh ways, and that you're gracious and generous, and you're also direct. Uh, We know that you love us. God, I pray uh, for the people here this morning that as these words from uh, 2 Samuel or just this invitation to approach your word in this way, that uh, we will uh, together experience the Holy Spirit expanding um, the way that we know what it is to live in your kingdom because of the words that you speak to us, Uh, and that this will have an impact Uh, on our lives and our families and in our community, that we would uh, live in a way that's shaped by your words. We give all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll take uh, another moment now for you to just close the thoughts that you were having. Uh, If there's something specific that came up uh, that God was bringing to you as you engaged with that story, um, say thank you. Or if there's something that feels confusing, uh, you can ask God um, to continue to show that to you. And then if you feel comfortable, you can share that with somebody here this morning or later, or you can have it be a prayer moment now. Um, And then we'll be led in a couple of songs to close.